Hello, welcome to episode four of Rail File. My name's Lou. I'm here with Nick. Nick, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Lou? I'm great because guess what we're doing today? Uh, are we talking to Justin Franz? The Justin Franz of Trains Magazine and the Flathead Beacon. He's a photographer. Justin, how are you today? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here. The Great Midwest, land of new industrial horizons. The Midwest, for generations the number one agricultural region of America, is today a fast-growing industrial empire, with opportunity for development as vast as the horizons of its fertile prairies. Four great states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and South Dakota, comprising the heart of the Midwest, are served by the Minneapolis and St. Louis Railway. They lead the nation in production of corn, oats, rye, hay, flaxseed, soybeans, hogs and poultry, and rank high in barley, wheat, sugar beets, dairy and beef cattle, pulpwood, coal, limestone, and scores of other essential products. Minnesota alone mines three-fourths of America's iron ore. Already, the Midwest's industrial progress has been tremendous. To new industries and to industries seeking to relocate or expand, it offers unexcelled advantages in respect to climate, abundance of skilled labor, supplies of water, fuel, power, and raw materials, plant sites in progressive communities, easy access to consuming markets. For transportation of materials and finished products, the Midwest has a network of railroads providing unsurpassed service with equipment and tracks as fine as any in the world. Supplemented by modern highways, pipelines, and inland waterway barges. To manufacturers and distributors, the M and L, a vital unit of Midwest transportation, offers efficient freight service, complete in detail, and advantageous plant locations in thriving communities on its lines. The Minneapolis and St. Louis Railway, fast freight service via the Peoria Gateway. All right, we're here on episode four of Rail File. I'm Lou. Here with Nick, our interview this week is none other than Justin Franz. He's a writer and photographer residing in Whitefish, Montana. You might know his work from Trains Magazine. Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And more importantly, thanks for, thanks for putting this podcast together. I think it's been a, a long time coming for, for something like this. And so it's, uh, I'm really excited to... To, to see what you guys come up with. I think it's an awesome idea. Yeah, well, here we are, you know. Sure. So, Justin, uh, you are a professional writer. That is correct. Yeah, I work for uh, the Flathead Beacon, which is a, a weekly weekly uh, newspaper in, based in Kalispell, Montana. And we cover basically the whole northwest corner of, of the state, and all the way from the Canadian border down towards the Missoula area and from the Blackfeet Indian Reservation all the way uh, west to the Idaho border. That's awesome. And uh, I know you got some attention from the New York Times for your uh, police blotter. Yes. That is kind of your claim to f- uh, fame and permanent notoriety there. I Yeah, I, I, I gave up uh, long ago. I, I gave up any hopes or dreams of having a, a serious journalism career. And I, I realized that my my uh, my mark on journalism will be the, the police blotter. We do a, a weekly weekly blotter where we sort of write about some of the ridiculous uh, ridiculous things that happen in Flathead County and there is a lot of them. <laughs> you have a you have a very active bear community from what I've read in uh, the Flathead Beacon. The bear those bears are up to no good. They are up to no good. I yeah. It's actually you know what I just we I just moved across town uh, in the last year or so and 
there we our paper did a story on the bears coming out of hibernation and apparently our new apartment is right like in the middle of like the bear corridor from like the mountains north of whitefish to like the river area and i didn't know this oh so you're at bear ground zero uh yeah when when my my parents visited about a year or two ago and when they were uh, my mom was going to take the trash out or something i i handed her a can of bear spray and i was like take this you'll need it and she like freaked out for a good good 30 seconds so um when you're not when you're not writing about bears you you sometimes write about trains and um, yes, you sometimes write for Trains Magazine, even the the magazine of railroad. I do, yeah, the magazine of railroad. Yes, um, yeah, I've been uh, a correspondent for Trains Magazine. I do a lot of writing for their news section and also the the online daily newswire, uh, covering everything from from news that's happening here in the Pacific Northwest to labor relations, technology, sort of a, a wide variety of of topics. And I've done, they haven't uh, given done you your own uh, railroad police blotter section? They have not given me the own police blotter section. Although, since I am the cops and courts reporter at a newspaper, I do occasionally get to do the, the crime-related stories that ever that happen to show up in Trains Magazine, which isn't often. Well, you know, we all subscribe for the grit, so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Back, back in my neck of the woods, there was a... Um, there was this gang, this gang of ne'er do wells who would rob. They would rob trains, and they were they were very advanced. They would use you know railroad scanners, and they they would you know correspond by by radio, and they would they would break into these stack trains, and they they called themselves the Conrail Boys. It was boys with a Z, of course. Oh, and, course, um, duh, obviously. Yeah, I and mean, these guys were like ripping off containers, and it was this whole thing. That's kind of my favorite my favorite crime trains kind of crossover going on there was a true stories from the railroad um article i remember in trains some years ago that was the uh, uh some special agent talking about busting guys that were involved in something like that it was probably circa you know 1992 or 1993 but i still remember the uh illustrations for it and working hard to pr- keep those containers full of new vcrs and big screen projection tvs keeping those safe which are a favorite of antique stuff. dealers now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, it says pretty vintage. Yeah, hipsters all over Brooklyn have you know combination <laughs> DVD VCRs. So Justin, when you're a correspondent for trains, is that structured in a way where you are given a, sort of a, a feature story on a, a rotating basis with other writers, or uh, how does that work exactly? You know, it it, it really depends. Um, it depends on sort of the. The editorial lineup and the stories that they're they're working on um i have over the years somehow sort of positioned myself to be doing the union and labor relations beat and so anytime there's something about uh you know one-man crews or driverless trains or anything like that i've i've been given those stories but it, it, it there's not really so much of a rotation it's more of a you know at the middle part of the year jim ren will will email a, a number of us and say like you know what do you have what do you have cooking for for the next year and that's sure. usually usually how the stories are, are assigned and i usually try and pitch you know a couple of serious ones that i know they'll take and then every once in a while i'll try and pitch a fun one that i i don't think they'll take sure and, you know and you know like last year they I pitched two one was on i think it, it was I, I pitched two one was on driverless trains uh, which figured would be the the serious wonky story, and I and then the other one was uh, on the the return of the ski train in Colorado, and so I figured figured you know at least one of those would work, and then 
they were like, oh, yeah, no, those those both work. And I was like, oh, I get to do a, you know, sort of dry driverless train story and a fun go skiing on trains dime. <laughs> Man, it must be yeah, bad. Yeah, those were good you're... photos, too. Yeah, yeah. They, it was a mix of my shots, and I think they got some uh, Tom Dannerman's, Tom or Mike Dannerman's, one of them. Uh, uh, Does it even story. matter? Yeah, I mean, that was a, They're pretty much matter. the same guy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so... Huh, that's awesome. I can imagine it is very satisfying when you are uh, skiing on Calm Box time. That's fantastic. That was that was the best. I, I realized I was like, well, this is this is why I went to journalism school. Forget all the uh, forget all the the grunge and the the, the daily BS. This was uh, this is where it was at. It's a totally an ad hoc thing. It's you pitch a story and they either take it or they don't. So okay, yeah, cool. they they usually pitch. You know, either I pitch or sometimes they'll they'll pitch me stuff um, or, or ideas or topics that they want to cover. Sure. Um, and they sort of look at their, their lineup of, of writers and, and see who, who might best, best fit the, fit the bill. Sure. I think that the driverless trains article was, was I think the, the number one article I have ever read the comments on Facebook about. And it was very <laughs> clear that no one read the article before you know spouting off their incredibly informed opinion about driverless trains it was uh it was pretty fun uh, it's like i'm not even gonna read the know, article i, I already uh, know how i feel I, about I, this i'll be i'll be careful what i say about the commenters <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we love all of them which is we why we don't have a comment section on, on our website yes absolutely especially at a, a newspaper the comment section descends into chaos very quickly so justin i've been looking at your Flickr stream and i noticed that uh from the exif information it looks like you're shooting a canon mirrorless uh system is that true yeah i so i have um I I have a couple DSLRs, but I recently picked up a uh, Canon M6, which is their their newer uh, mirrorless. That I I wanted something smaller for trips that weren't so much, you know, hardcore rail fanning, sort of like regular vacation trips, but also just like hiking in Glacier National Park and just for regular photography. Sure. Um, and and so I picked picked up one of those, and I had a chance to I used it. We, uh, my fiance and I went down to New Orleans to visit her sister um, two months ago, and I had two days to go shoot the, the St. Charles Streetcar line. Um, and, you know, the first day I had my, my big camera bag with one of the DSLRs and the mirrorless camera. And the second day I just left the DSLRs back at the uh, my sister, future sister-in-law's apartment because the, the mirrorless was just doing everything I, I needed, and it was just, you know... It was a great. Con- it was great to have something smaller and a little more subtle, and not this big bulky DSLR. Yeah. So yeah, I've been really, really enjoying the mirrorless. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the trend. I know Lou, you made the jump to mirrorless a long time ago. It yeah, I did like, that uh, um, early, early 2017. I I bought a used uh, Fuji, and I was like, let's see what all the hype is about. And uh, a month later, I got rid of most of my Canon, and then I, I kind of like cleaned out the closet and got rid of like I don't know. I had like a three hundred two eight that I used back in like back in my newspaper days, and I was like, I'm never gonna use this thing. And I just I cleared out everything. Yeah, I've I've not I've not been excited to shoot digital in years. But you know, once really? I went mirrorless, it, I mean, it's it is a joy to shoot. It's a it's a easy to pack, easy to carry. And the pictures are really good. I mean, they're really good. And, yeah. you know, Justin, you know, your shots, your shots in New Orleans especially, it's obvious that, you know, 
the more like when you travel you know the more you get your camera out the more pictures you take i always found that you know i was taking a lot of pictures with my phone all the time because you know getting the slr out which is usually in a backpack was you know it was really cumbersome it was a big pain in the butt and so i would miss more shots just because you know it wasn't worth it to get the camera out which you know shows how lazy a rail fan i am <laughs> but you know i i found that with you know, with mirrorless, they're small, they're packable, you know, you can put them in any bag, you can carry them around on your neck, you look like a tourist, you look like you could be anybody, you don't look like some dorky rail fan, you don't look like some, you know, wannabe photographer on a photo safari, and, and so, you know, they're they're easy to carry around, and I take a ton more pictures, because I've always got my camera with me. Sure. Yeah, that, that was one of the, another reason, besides travel and hiking, was, you know, I go to go to work every day and i don't want to you know if i'm gonna be at work and and shooting stuff i'll usually have the the newspapers cameras with me um but like you know going to and from work i didn't just want to like have my dslr bouncing around my work bag that has like my gym shoes and a dirty t-shirt and all that i just didn't didn't want to bring the dslr around all the time and so one reason I, I thought like a mirrorless would be good and why this I got the Sim 6 is that I always have something in my, my work bag. I always have something in the car. Like it's, it's always around. Absolutely. You know, and the other thing, and this was sort of an unintended consequence of having mirrorless. It is not an intimidating looking camera. People don't For think, sure. that, you know, people don't think you're a pro shooter. People don't think that, you know, you're anything but a tourist with a point and shoot. And it's like, well, you know, you can think that, but, you know, I'm still going to get great pictures. You know, you can get into a sporting event with that and people just think you're some like rando hobbyist. And, you know, it's it's kind of nice. It, it is it is an incredibly non-threatening platform for people whose pictures you're taking. Sure. Yeah, and that you know one of my favorite sh- shots from the the trip I did to New Orleans uh, early this year was it, it's on one of the St. Charles streetcars and it's got the arms of a bunch of people like holding on to the the leather rope and stuff or the the metal bar up on top and everyone's looking forward except this one this one young kid is, is like has their their head over their mom's shoulder and they're looking out the window and and it's this really nice little moment and and I think you know, all I had to do is just, I had the mirrorless camera on my shoulder and I just literally lifted it up, click, and, and that was it. You know, and no one no one thought like, hey, what's this guy doing with this big DSLR? It was just like one and done, you know? Yeah, you were you were just a just a, a tourist on vacation and not, you know, a creep. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, having done the DSLR on the very heavily packed uh, light rail train thing before for a similar sort of shot, like... Yes, the mirrorless would have been a better uh, <laughs> a better tool for that job. It's crazy. I, it's getting to the point now where having listened to so many people uh, sing the praises of the mirrorless systems, it makes me really makes me want to strongly think about you know dumping my Canon uh, you know DSLR gear while there's still mm-hmm. some value in it. For a carefree vacation, go by train. Yes, and like this little lady, go by Pennsylvania Railroad. Our great passenger fleets offer a choice of 1,100 daily trains between east and west, north and south, scheduled for your convenience, equipped for your comfort by day by night. Whether you travel by sleeping car or coach, there is a train ready to take you when you are ready to go. No better year and no better way 
Whether you plan to visit New York, Washington, or other eastern cities, a quiet resort, or the folks back home. Enjoy the extra convenience and comforts the Pennsylvania Railroad now offers through its great network of through service. Coast to coast, to New England, eastern Canada, the south, the southwest, all without change of cars. To the grandeur of the Canadian Rockies, to America's inspiring national parks, well-timed connections. Our ticket offices, travel bureaus, and ticket agents are available to help you plan a carefree and relaxed vacation from the first to the final mile. So, Justin, can you talk about sort of your approach to railroad photography, given your background in journalism? Well, you know, I I like to I, I, I like to approach railroad photography as with with a journalist side, with a photojournalist side. I like to to try and include people and people and things that really help help each photo tell a story um you know some of the photographers that i look up to the most within our hobby would be like blair koistra um george hiotis uh ted benson um greg mcdonald and, and i think those are all guys that sort of approach their subjects like photojournalists and you know ted benson and and blair koistra were working photojournalists for a long time and so um, those are those are the types of guys I look up to the most, and, and those are the types of the guys that I would like to emulate in my own work. And and that can be you know that can be tough nowadays with um, with less access, especially with you know you know there's fewer railroads and they can be less welcoming nowadays. But uh, it's something I strive for in my my images is to be able to tell a story with each shot. I'm looking at your shots now. There's a branch line uh, near where you are that I I think is in the process of getting not a, not exactly abandoned. It's getting kind of repositioned, sort of. Yeah. Uh, you've been in the process of kind of documenting the last days of the, you know, the, the trackage in its current alignment. And just looking yeah. at the shots that you've got, you can tell you know you're um, you're providing a wider context with your shots, and it's clear that you're. You're thinking about the a little more than just the train itself, where that might be the motivation, but you're you're getting some of the actual uh, setting and landscape that it's into. For sure, yeah. I mean that that's uh, yeah. The to, to give some background, the where I work in in Kalispell, our newspaper is based in Kalispell, and the the Great Northern Railway when it first built into Northwest Montana, the main line went through Kalispell, and then about ten years later, they moved the main line up to to Whitefish and the line to Kalispell became a branch line. And it is it went from Great Northern to Burlington Northern to BNSF and about 10, 15 years ago it became part of a, a Watco short line known as the, the Mission Mountain. And they are in the process of building a new rail park just east of Kalispell that will the, the two last customers that are in downtown Kalispell will move to the, that area. There's a, a grain elevator and a drywall distributor. And so they will rip up later this year or early next year, they will rip up the um, the final two miles of the old Great Northern into Kalispell. And, uh, you know, having worked at the newspaper for about six years, when I when I first got that job, our office is literally a, a block, less than a block away from, from the tracks. And when I first went to Kalispell, I, I saw this little short line winding through town. And it's it's a really cool little stretch track. It it sort of goes behind a mall and, and sort of ducks between little industrial 
parts of town to a grain elevator. And when I first saw that, I was like, I got to, I got to shoot something, something here. Um, and it had, hadn't had any luck catching anything there. And so about six months into working at the newspaper, we did a story on how they were planning on building this new rail park. And this is back in like 2012. And so I wrote the story and I was like, well, we need to get photos to illustrate this story. Obviously. And so I, obviously, and when I was talking <laughs> to the, the general manager of the rare, I was like, oh, by the way, purely for news purposes, uh, when, when are you guys going to be running through downtown next? Get a lineup for journalistic reasons. Yes. It, it, precisely, precisely. And he's like, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, I'll have the, someone text you when we're 10 minutes out and we're going to be there tomorrow. And I was like, great. Nice. And that'll do. <laughs> and yeah, that like, that'll be perfect again, just for journalistic purposes. Yeah. And this was back in 2012, and you know I shot the heck out of that, thinking like, oh, this is gonna be my only shot uh, doing this." Um, but you know, in the in the years since, they've actually traffic has somehow increased out of downtown Kalispell, and so they'll be they go down into into town three or four times a week. Um, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less. But I have in the last few years sort of made an effort every time. I can uh, every time I hear them coming through town to make up an excuse to leave the office and go shoot them on on my way to whatever I said I was going to do, and uh, but you know mo- most of those shots were were sort of traditional rail fan shots. Certainly, trying to take photos that added context to to the railroad. You know, making sure I got shots of them switching the grain elevator and, and so on, but um. As actually earlier this year, after uh, Blair Koistra did his amazing uh, multimedia show at Winter Rail about the Milwaukee uh, in the the final years of the Milwaukee out in Seattle, um, you know, I, I watched that and sort of thought to myself, like, I, I wish I wish I could dive into a subject uh, as hard as he, you know, shot the the Milwaukee in the final years, and I wish I could find somewhere where I had that type of access. And then it sort of dawned on me. It was like, well, it's right in front of me, you know. And so I have sort of through the through the newspaper been trying to shoot not just the railroad, but the industries themselves, and you know, even even get trying to get even more access. And so about sure. a month ago, I I rode in with the the Mission Mountain crew. I spent eight hours with them as they went about their day and then you know a couple a week after that i spent an afternoon with the guys at the grain elevator as they loaded grain hoppers and then i spent another morning with the the folks at uh, the drywall distributor as they unloaded a a center beam flat car and so you know i've gotten a a lot of photos but there's certainly a lot more that i want to get in the next you know six to eight months that i have it's going to be a eerie foreshadowing uh, as Blair shot the Milwaukee, and that becomes one of the most beloved railroads, you know, 20 years after its passing, that inevitably the same thing is going to happen to Watco now. It's, uh, it's crazy, you know? Yeah. So, Justin, yeah. you know, you you have a background in journalism. So, you know, storytelling is sort of at the forefront of why you take pictures and how you take pictures and how you approach a project. What sort of advice would you have for uh, a railroad photographer who who wants to do you know sort of a more in depth project who wants to go and you know really document something you know not you know three quarter crossing wedgie you know what what would you suggest to them to kind of get a start on a project like that? 
Yeah, I would, I would um, sort of try and have an idea of what you want the project to be uh, in your mind from the beginning and, and to have a goal in place and to know the shots that you need to get to complete that project. Um, and, and once you get started, I would also, you know, don't be afraid to approach the railroad or the industry or who, what, whoever the, the subject of that project is and see what access you can get um, and, and see if you can ride along with, with them for a day or, you know, watch them unload, you know, cars and stuff like that. I think adding, adding the, adding a human element to it is always going to make it a story a lot better. I I can imagine the listener thinking to themselves, well, sure, that's, that's easy to do. If you are, you know, you can call them and say, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm working for the paper or whatever. But I, I think what a lot of people might not realize is that, you know, if you are reasonably competent at writing, um, you know, you can either talk to uh, Otto Vondrak at Railfan or one of the many editors at Trains Magazine. And, um, you know, with a little bit of effort, you can get a, a story or two under your belt that maybe doesn't require too much access. And, uh, you know, then with their blessing, you'd be able to call the railroad and say, you know, I'm calling, I'm a freelance writer. I'm working on a story with such and such magazine. May I, and you can pursue your line of questioning or your request for access that is probably less work than some people might realize or appreciate, I think. Totally. And it would be yeah. a good way to get some legitimacy uh, for your for your project. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I know they're, you know, Otto and, and, and the guys at Trains, everyone's, they're always looking for stories. And I think that's the, you know, that that's probably the best way about going going and doing that is is to, you know, pitch, pitch a story to, to Railfan or Trains or... or Passenger Train Journal or Railroads Illustrated. There's a lot of options, and and you know getting getting their blessing and then using that as a way to get get more access um, and, and, and making the, the most of that access. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that's that's one thing. You know, when I am, you know, when I I spent you know two a month ago when I spent the day with the the Mission Mountain crew, I shot like a thousand photos, and it was. You know, it was just like just laying down on the shutter and shooting as much as I could, and not not thinking about like, oh, I need to, you know, how, how do I want to make this shot and stuff. It was just shooting it because you know these are fleeting moments, and you don't know if you're going to be able to do this again. It sounds to me like it'd be in BNSF's interest to get a story in one of the local papers about how they work so dang hard. Oh, that's a good. To that's keep a good the angle. Northern Transcon open. Uh, oh, you know. trust me, I have pitched <laughs> this many, many a time. Trust me. I, that's I, two, two, two or three years ago, I did a story on for for Trains Magazine, a cover story for their about BNSF's avalanche uh, mitigation program along uh-huh. Glacier Park. And what's interesting about BNSF uh, and their avalanche program, because the Alaska Railroad has one too, but the Alaska can use um, the the Alaska has crews that are, are um, that can use explosives to deal with avalanches. But since Marias Pass is on the southern edge of Glacier Park, they can't use explosives or anything like that. And it would disturb use, the bears. It would disturb their sleep, and you don't want to wake up a bear. <laughs> you don't poke um, the bear. Don't poke the bear, and and they you know they can sometimes use what's called a daisy bell, which essentially shoots pressure waves at the from a helicopter. 
shoots pressure waves at the the slope to trigger trigger an avalanche, but they can only do that with written permission from from the superintendent of Glacier Park. But I did a, a story on on the the avalanche program for Trains Magazine, and I they they you know they they were super welcoming and said like yeah we we can get you out there we'll we'll uh, we'll get you out there when we do the avalanche mitigation or when we when we hike above the ski and hike above the snow sheds um along Marias Pass to to check the avalanche conditions and the one winter we picked to do it was like had the the least amount of snow in like a decade of course yeah and so my opportunity to again ski on trains magazine's dime was was stolen from me and i was very disappointed about that but it was still a fun story it was still interesting to talk to them so so mrl just doesn't run plows just on account of the geography doesn't necessitate it i imagine Eh, i mean i i have some some friends who who work for mrl and, Uh and work in in as train crews as dispatchers and in the front office and and uh, they'll they'll give you they'll give you very off the record opinions about why MRL should run plows. Sure, but uh, <laughs> well, yeah, any and, any rail fan wants the plows to run, you know. Sure, totally. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they they use uh, they use a they have a dozer or not a not a not the dozer in the the Great Northern sense, but like. In the a technical little, sense, an actual bulldozer. Yeah, <laughs> bu- yeah, basically a bulldozer and, and a goofy track machine. And, and if things get rough, they'll use that. But sure, uh, uh, yeah, they don't they don't do a lot of plowing. Also, just sort of it, there's a little less snow in in that area. Yeah, it's been falling out of favor a little bit uh, here in the Midwest where I am. I'm in southern Minnesota usually when I'm shooting plow operations in northern Iowa. And uh, it's kind of been falling out of favor in lieu of just having contractors with, as Lou was saying, literally bulldozers and excavators and things like that um, sure. for dealing with the big drifts. So, which which is a shame because shooting a plow extra is like literally the funnest thing on earth. It's like it's a pretty sport, great, really. <laughs> oh yeah, I would tell people that birthdays and funerals and all that are great, but the snow ex the plow extra still trumps them. You know, so. Totally. Don't yeah, die I, before a blizzard, you know? Yeah, I, I remember shooting <laughs> um, a bunch of plow extras on the bang at Aroostook when I was a kid, and those were just, you know, a blast. And I, yeah. I remember this one time that we were we were chasing this plow extra from, from Oakfield, Maine, south to to Brownville on the old bang at Aroostook, and, and north of Millinocket had, had been fresh, powdery snow, and so... You'd be standing trackside, and maybe you'd get hit with a wave of snow, but it was sort of fun and powdery, and it's like, oh, ha, 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 we got hit with the snow. Uh, but then south of Millinock, it, it, had, uh, it had been raining the night before, and then it froze. And so the first location, the first location south of Millinock, the, the train's coming around the corner, and in between the, the Bangoneristic's iconic plow, plow duck horn, you can just hear this ice scraping. Oh, and man. And and my dad said like later on he's like I realized what that meant I realized we I, I knew we were up the creek, and and I I have this amazing shot of, you know, snow getting thrown forty feet fifty feet into the the woods and then the next shot the next slide in that roll is literally a cockeyed view I was gonna try and do a going away shot but it's a cockeyed view of the road crossing and just this huge white blob where I'm getting hit with ice chunks <laughs> right and and my dad remember he's just like I just I, I picked you up off the road and threw you in the car and was like we gotta go but yeah 
and yeah. just hope that mom is gentle when she gets the full report, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. My mom used to go rail fanning with uh, my dad and I when I was really young. It would be a family activity, and she, she bit her tongue and dealt with it. Uh, the the time, she, the, the day she stopped, and, and my dad, I can't remember the exact date, but my dad can vividly remember the date. It's like October 1994. Sure. And we, I was, uh, say 94, I must have been like seven and we were chasing a Steamtown excursion out of Scranton, Pennsylvania. And we were just east of Scranton. And we're at this spot where you can can shoot from the, the Pennsylvania Turnpike uh, or whatever highway it is, looking down the valley. To, and you can see Scranton in the background. And you can see the, the old DL&W wrapping up this canyon. And my dad pulls over. And he grabs his camera bag. And he grabs me like a camera bag, like I had yep. little suspenders on. Yeah, and, and he, he runs across like five lanes of interstate and my <laughs> mom just lost it. And and that was that was literally the last time she ever went rail fanning with us. She was like, I don't just bring him home alive. I don't wanna know what happened. Just yeah. I'm never gonna see this again. Well, we've been chatting here with Justin Franz of the Flathead Beacon, Trains Magazine, and other various pursuits. Justin, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I I had a great time. Awesome. We did as well. 50 new reefers have been built for the Great Northern Railway by Pacific Car and Foundry Company, Renton, Washington. High speeds are made possible by mounting the cars on box express car trucks equipped with Timpkin tapered roller bearings. Timpkin roller bearings on the car's axle remove all speed restrictions due to bearings permitting sustained high speeds. They eliminate delays due to hot boxes because there's no waste to grab, no loss of lubrication, and no contamination of lubricant by dirt and water. Highly effective seals permit long-lasting grease lubrication. Lubrication stays in, dirt stays out. One Railroad's roller freight has gone 50 million car miles without a hot box. By contrast, freight cars with on old-style friction bearings average only 212,000 miles or less between hot box setouts. In addition, Timken bearings cut operating and lubricating costs because they require 90% fewer man-hours for terminal inspection, save up to 89% in lube bills, starting resistance is also cut by 88%, permitting jolt-free starts. Roller Freight can be the railroad's big talking point in going after tomorrow's freight business, and when all the railroads switch to Roller Freight, they'll save an estimated $190 million a year, net 22% yearly return on the investment. For more information about Roller Freight, write Tempkin Roller Bearing Company, Canton 6, Ohio. Thanks for listening to Rail File Episode 4. I'm Lou. Here's Nick. Thanks, everybody. And remember, you can download this wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Check us out on the World Wide Web at railfile.com. Find us on social media at railfile. If you have any questions, feel free to get in touch with us by email. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening.